G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au I was a young married mother and young children and also a brand new Christian at that time as well. Um, So, you know, I wanted to be this good Christian daughter and do everything right and be there as much as I can for my mum. But we would have, oh, the emergency departments, the police departments, they would ring us up at night and say, we've got your mother here, come and get her. So um, this happened frequently throughout this young part of my life. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scatterbo. Well, Ruth Price had a happy childhood growing up in New Zealand that was, until she turned six, when her mother had a breakdown and was taken away in an ambulance. This was the beginning of her long journey of growing up with a parent struggling with a mental illness. Ruth says that despite the unique challenges this brought to her life, God was still at work, reeling her in and bringing her closer and closer to Him. We'll find out how this all works out in Ruth's life as she shares her story with us today. Ruth Price, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be here. Glad to have you with us. And so your story, as we just heard, is in New Zealand growing up. But actually, your parents' story starts back in England. Is that right? It did. They actually arrived in New Zealand in the 50s. Uh, they had been only recently married. But as there was many 10-pound uh, poms, I think they were called back then, yeah, yeah, came to New right. Zealand because of his carpentry skills. They thought they'd take an opportunity for a new life. So they actually sort of put me or our family in a different situation. None of our relatives followed. So I mm. grew up relatively without any cousins, um, grandparents, any relations at all, really. So obviously, we're going to hear about some of the struggles that your family went to because of your mother's mental illness. But I'm just thinking it was even harder because you didn't have extended family to kind of fall back on for support. I think so. Yeah, but there was also, as time went by, I mean, I realized there was no sort of normality. Like, Hmm. looking back, I realized there was no examples of what family life was like for me back then as well. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a particular couple that they did meet on the boat coming over, and they mm-hmm. did remain close with our family, but that was pretty much it, really. So it wasn't much social interaction between other families at all as a family. Yeah, so you're saying you didn't really have an example of what a normal family life was like, and then it turned out your family wasn't normal for all the reasons we're going to hear. That's true, very true. I don't think I actually appreciated that so much, though, until I grew up and looked back and what was actually happening. Well, they always say a fish doesn't know that it's wet. True. (laughs) You just grow up with what you know and you think that's normal and it's not until later that you find out that, oh, not everybody's doing like we're doing. Exactly. I think that did happen a lot for me. Mm -hmm. So you grew up in Christchurch on the South Island of New Zealand and you have uh, brothers and sisters? I do. I have an older sister and brother and a younger brother that uh, he's a couple of years younger than me. Okay, and so fairly happy childhood before six years old, is that right? Well, I remember lots of things, lots and lots of memories back in Christchurch, um, playing with the neighborhood children, 
going out chasing a fire engine type thing. All the neighbours <laughs> did that. So we all followed along. And I mean, I have lots and lots of clear memories back then. It, right back till I was almost 18 months, I think, was my earliest wow. memory. So I do, it was a very, very clear part of yeah. my life. And then what happened? Well, we moved to Auckland. Uh, my dad, being a carpenter, there wasn't much work that dried up in Christchurch. He'd actually built our family home there. Um, so mm-hmm. he picked all our family up and we moved to Auckland. Uh, he actually built another home for us. Yeah, so life dramatically started to change, though, during that move or shortly after. So when I, you know, we moved to Auckland, I was about six years old at the time. And I remember this night that things really took a turn for a dramatic change. Uh, My mother, Mm. I remember she had what I always knew growing up as to be a breakdown of sorts. And Mm -hmm. it all started, um, it was about 11 o'clock at night or late at night anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember her walking up the road and there was a lot of commotion going on and she just needed a bottle of milk or something. And, you know, we're talking way back in the mid-60s. And, you know, we didn't have shops that were open at that time of night. So, um, yeah, so my childhood mind, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it wasn't right. And what actually happened to us children, we all got taken to our neighbor's house. Obviously, they were very aware with what was going on and the noise and the commotion. Um, So we were looked after by our neighbors overnight. Yeah. Okay, so she's looking for a bottle of milk when... You know, even as a child, there's no stores open at 11 p.m. Well, I just knew it wasn't normal, really. <laughs> there was something yeah, that wasn't quite yeah. right, and it's always stayed fresh in my mind. Yeah, what happened that night? And, you know, what actually followed, which was really the start of how I was seeing things and probably realizing the impact, was actually the next morning. So those particular friends that my family uh, were close with from the boat, they came over and took my brother, my little brother that was, and myself mm. for a walk around um, around the block. I guess we were supposed to be gone for half an hour, an hour, I don't know. But, you know, as we came back, I remember seeing an ambulance. At that point, they were taking my mother away to hospital. Mm. Um, yeah. And at the time, you know, I didn't really understand that, but I knew that to be, it was Ward 10 in Auckland, um, which was known Mm. as the mental health unit. So I guess she was going to be getting treatment. Yeah. So now, obviously, at the time, you didn't know. Have you found out in later years exactly what it was that triggered calling an ambulance? Not more than what was going on that night before. Obviously, I was at my neighbor's house, so I didn't see anything more until that morning when we got taken away. But... I guess for me, the really impacting part was, yes, I saw her in the ambulance being taken away and it was, I don't know, something inside of me just really, it wasn't a great moment for me. Mm, Um, But then I remember it was only a couple of days later that we went to visit her in hospital as a six-year-old child. This is how old I was at the time. And I remember seeing her so withdrawn, so saddened and Oh, that just had such a deep impact on on me, mm. I remember. Yeah. It was the very first time that I felt there was this bond between my mother and myself. Um, so I, I remember spending time with her during that hospital stay as well, but probably shouldn't have been there quite so much as a young child. I don't remember mm. my siblings being around. They seemed to be getting on with their life, but I was always there close with my mum. And I always knew from that point, like I said, we had that bond with us. Not really close mm. where you share things and, you know, what's going on in your life, but there was this unspoken bond. Um, if mm. she cried, I would cry, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it was really quite impacting. Did she ever try to explain to you what was going on with her? 
Well, no, she never actually in my whole life never acknowledged there really was a problem. Um, oh, is that right? She never acknowledged any kind of mental health, mental illness or anything like that. It was always other people, the way they took a situation um, or mistook how she was thinking or what was happening. There was always some reason, oh, wow. as I learned later on in life, but there was never... Mind you, Eric, I don't actually think mental health was actually un- completely understood back then. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember my dad and my mum, they, they spent a lot of time arguing, even as a young mm-hmm. child. The arguments were often about money, or my dad would just say, you know, she's, your mother's just sick. And that was all I remember, those words, she's just mm. sick. So I didn't actually understand till a lot later in life what the problem was. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting um, as a child, thinking about the money problems, I remember when I was seven years old, I just started a new school. Mum had put us into this um, school that she felt that was right for us. And mm-hmm. arguing with a child in the playground just after Christmas, it must have been January or February when we went back, and I was saying Santa Claus had to be real because my parents couldn't afford the presents. <laughs> so it had to be Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> had to come from Santa Claus. <laughs> I know, he had to be real, right? <laughs> yeah. Our guest today is Ruth Price from New Zealand, who's sharing with us about what it was like growing up with a parent struggling with a mental illness. We'll hear more of Ruth's story when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today I'm chatting with Ruth Price, who's originally from New Zealand. Ruth is sharing with us about the unique challenges she faced growing up with a parent struggling with a mental illness. Now here's more of my conversation with Ruth Price. So your childhood was spent with your mother going in and out of psychiatric care and having shock treatments and all. Is that right? Yeah, I remember. I don't remember each incident completely, but I always remember she was in and out of psych units. She must have had some sort of help. I actually also remember a lot of family counselling back then. We always Mm. seemed to be taken into various meetings here and there, I guess trying to help sort through the problems. Um, Like I said, I don't even think she'd been diagnosed with any particular mental health illness at that point. Well, obviously something triggered them calling an ambulance. So there was a concern for her safety, I'd imagine. I think so. Um, The way she was reacting that night, and I guess over that night, I don't think my dad fully understood it either. Mm, Um, There must have been other incidences throughout my childhood, which did happen. I mean, if she was put into, you know, psychiatric units for assessment or just to be, you know, get some sort of treatment, I guess. Yeah. But of course, you're just a child. You're not aware of everything that's going on. And it sounds like they were trying to shield you from it a bit as well. I don't know that it was 
so much shielding me from it. Well, they did it that early part, I guess, because I yeah. was one of the younger two children. Yeah, I remember my dad taking us out, you know, grocery shopping. From memory, like I said, they're all very patchy during that time. But mm. she wasn't around and she would be the one who would normally take us grocery shopping. But he would come yeah. home after work and, you know, he would take us. And there was just little memories and glimpses like that. Yeah, you knew something wasn't right. I knew something wasn't right. That's right. I mean, I personally started withdrawing, I think, a lot in life. You know, I'd read a lot. Um, so I didn't always see what was happening. I just was it was almost like an awareness um, things weren't normal, things weren't right. Like mm, I said, we had a yeah. bit of an isolation because we didn't have family around. We didn't have relatives yeah. to help or to be there. So Yeah. Now let's go up to when you're 13 years old and you were being interviewed with the possibility of being taken from your home. Is that right? Yeah. I think I particularly was affected more than my siblings with everything that was going on or it was how I was reacting. Um, I didn't want to be at home at all, Eric, and mm. uh, whether it was the arguing or I just wasn't coping. Somehow there was this interview which I was taken into, and it was this home for children to be looked after where their situation, you know, they couldn't cope with it at home for one reason or another. It was actually some minister, I think it was, in Auckland there for this house of girls, and I was being interviewed with my parents. Both of them were there and the person who was running the home. But I think it was decided that I was too good to be in that home. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what that meant at the time, but I sort of took it later in life and thought, well, God was protecting me at the time mm. from that place, um, that particular environment. Yeah, so I kind of grew up with that happening. And I guess my dad, too, wasn't coping either at uh, throughout this journey and it, you know, it would have been hard for him as well yeah. Um, yeah I remember actually I've got one memory which is very very clear of him throwing himself down the stairs in front of us or front of me oh anyway that was hard to impact you know to, to feel oh, of course yeah so you must have been very confused inside at this point to the point you said you wanted to leave. I mean, there must have been a lot of confusion. Oh, going on absolutely. In your home. There was a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. But I think it was just like I needed to get out. I wanted to be away from the, what was happening around me. It was just. Yeah, not a stable home life, it doesn't sound like. No, quite dysfunctional, I think, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, in all fairness, though, my mum did well. I believe she wanted the best for us. Um, mm -hmm. We used to have really good Christmas holidays. We always had Christmas Day away camping, um, other holidays that she took. Even through the times where I knew that she was struggling with certain things, she would take me and my younger brother away. And she also tried to provide for us the very best uh, way possible, uh, we like would if I wanted guitar lessons, she wouldn't just do guitar mm -hmm. lessons, you know, the normal perhaps teacher. She would send us to the Yamaha School of Music and things like that. Oh, um, wow. oh yeah. So that was the way it was. My sister, you know, when she played her musical instrument, she used to play the violin and she was in the Junior Symphony Orchestra. I think Mum oh, always wow. did try to provide the very best for us. And I understand she was a very intelligent lady as well. Oh, she was. She could um she was very, very intelligent. And she could always talk away through a lot of scenarios, a lot of situations when people perhaps would question her about her illness or things that were going on. She was very, very clever and perhaps would say the right answers so you wouldn't see mm. there was any issues that was wrong. Wow, so you kind of had this confusing situation where your mother was very loving and kind and talented and you knew she wanted the best for you, 
but yet she had this mental illness and eventually she was diagnosed, is that right? Yeah, she was um, eventually, but that was much later. Um, there was one other thing which you know really impacted me looking back in my childhood. I remember a time uh, when I was about five and my younger brother would have been three and we were just moved and she left me and my brother into this park down the waterfront in Auckland and we were by ourselves and looking back I think as a parent now I don't think that was just a generational thing I think it was kind of something that wasn't quite normal. (laughs) Yeah yeah so she eventually was officially diagnosed as uh, paranoid schizophrenic? Yeah, she was. Um, like I said, that happened much, much later. And that all came about because she got this um, same counsellor or, a care, you know, the person who was looking after her caseworker um, mm-hmm. at the psychiatric hospital. The actual admissions into hospital over the years became still frequently. I think it was almost every 10 years it would happen where she would be put inside for assessment. The police were the ones that usually put her into that. So, And the thing was, as you mentioned earlier, she didn't believe she had a problem. That's right. So she wouldn't take her medication. She would never. She would always get to a point where she would, if she was admitted into hospital, there'd be a few weeks where she was on medication, and then she would always talk them down and wean herself off it, and she was living this normal life in everybody else's eyes. That's correct, yeah. Okay, now let's skip to the time that you're 22 and you've been married for three years. What happened at that point? Um, At that point, it was very much the start of my siblings had all left town. They'd gone off into their own journey. And, you know, I was a young married mother and young children and Mm -hmm. also a brand new Christian at that time as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wanted to be this good Christian daughter and do everything right and be there as much as I can for my mum. But we would have, oh, the emergency departments, the police departments, they would ring us up at night and say, we've got your mother here, come and get her. So um, this happened frequently throughout this young part of my life. And Yeah. So you never knew when you would get a phone call saying, uh, could you come pick up your mother? She's in the police department. I mean, this could happen at any point. Yeah, she would always give my name as the contact. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this carried yeah. on with life, you know, as we journeyed together. So, yeah, there was all kinds of um, incidences that happened. Actually, one particular incident like that was she found herself overseas. I think she'd gone back to England for the first time and ended mm-hmm. up in Europe. And it was like just before Christmas. And we'd had a call from a hospital in Denmark. And it was, we need you to give some money to get her home again back to New Zealand. Wow. What do you do? You're in New Zealand and you're supposed to get your mother home from Denmark? Yeah. Well, all we knew we had to do was... They asked us to send some money, or back in those days it was wire some money. And, you know, it was about $1,000 from memory. And, you know, Mm -hmm. back then, that's a lot of money, especially back in the early 80s. I don't know how we managed. I think we had some savings or Mm -hmm. something. But what actually happened in that particular incident was by the time the money got there within 24 hours, my mother had done a disappearing act. She was gone. So... But that was characteristic of the way she was. Um, We did get our money back, thankfully, so not all was lost. Yeah. But I mean, that was the kind of experience you had in your young adult years. You're struggling to just start a new family, a young family yourself, but not knowing when you would get a phone call from somewhere in the world about problems that your mother was going through. Yeah, but uh, when she came back, um, there was a particular time that she felt unsafe in her own home. And I guess this is Mm -hmm. where the paranoia started really kind of showing itself um, with this particular situation. So she had decided she wanted to come and live with us. Like I said, I think I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old at the time. Mm. And when she came to stay with us, I mean, that was so hard. Um, The types of things we really started to see 
different parts of her, uh, the way she viewed, I guess, the world and what was going on in her mental state, remembering still not actually knowing and understanding what was happening with her. But um, one particular incident, we came home after we'd been out uh, when she was staying with us. There'd been this fire down a different part of the country, quite a long way from home, but mm. she decided to fill the bath with water. We never really quite understood <laughs> the logic with that. Yeah, but I mean, that kind of lets you know what was happening inside her mind, how it wasn't all rational. Yeah, I mean, there was another time too during that five weeks that I remember we got this knock on the door really loud late at night. I think we were in bed already. And mm-hmm. the, there was these policemen who had said that they'd got a call from our house saying there was an explosion and they'd come to check it out. And it turned out my mother was the one who had called them. But, huh. you know, her way of dealing with that was, well, that was on the other side of the house. You wouldn't have heard it. <laughs> we only had a very small house, too, for the record. <laughs> But somehow in her mind, uh, that was what she was thinking. So life was obviously interesting. So do you have young children and you have your mother who is mentally unstable, obviously, from what you're telling us, that must have been difficult to try to protect them from her or did you have to? It wasn't a case of protecting them from her as such. Um, Mm -hmm. In that particular five weeks was trying to get time together as a family without her constantly being in the midst of that. Oh, just to have some time to yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And we also um, had tried to have a little holiday together, which we often did. And she decided she would like to come with us. (laughs) I think we ended up praying her out. I mean, that sounds awful looking back. (laughs) But I can understand how you would want to have your time together as a family. But she usually, the norm was for her to live on her own. Is that right? Well, that's right. Yeah. So. But it sounds like how could she live on her own if she's hearing things? And I mean, how did that work? Yeah, well, there were certain things, I think, in her life which were triggers. Mm-hmm. Like my younger brother would have moved out from home, I don't know, maybe three years before that, and things started to go downhill from that point. Or later on, there was just different incidences which I watched and saw how she wouldn't cope, but then that would become more apparent, you know, what was going on with her mind and how she wasn't coping with life. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, she was very clever. And with that, she started to hide any kind of form of different ways of doing things that weren't right Mm. as the years went by and we might go to visit her and there might be a time where she wasn't coping um I don't know Mm -hmm. how that actually affected her because she never actually told me things like she'd hear voices or different things like that but I just saw Mm -hmm. things and you kind of make your own guesses until like I said we had that diagnosis later you might knock on the door and she wouldn't answer the door or you'd ring her and she wouldn't pick up just because she didn't perhaps want to deal with having to talk to us uh, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, you, you wrote uh, to me that it was a real balancing act, trying to work out with her what was real and what was imaginary. So you didn't know if, like she said, there was something happening in her house. You didn't know if she's just imagining it or if it was really happening. Is that right? Absolutely, that was right. I was really you know, thankful. I think God gave me a spirit of discernment, <laughs> which became very useful later on. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, with that not being real, you always wondered whether you'd turn up one day and something might have happened and, you know, mm. she might not have been found. Um, mm. So that was always on my mind, on my thoughts. I mean, we even had a particular situation. Uh, where I think I was working at the time and I had a call from my mum saying she wasn't well and she needed to go to the doctors, but she couldn't get there. So, you know, I left work and I came and, you know, wanted to 
help her, which I always mm-hmm. tried to do. And there was no answer on the door. So, you know, I thought, okay, maybe she's gone to the doctor. She's found her own way there, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't far. So we went up there, but no, she hadn't turned up. And so we ended up calling an ambulance and got them to break into the house. Because you didn't know if she's just laying there unconscious or something. Well, that's what you just never knew. You just never knew yeah. if that was going to happen. But as it turned out, once again, she'd done one of those disappearing acts. So I never knew where she did go that particular time. But hmm. So wait, wait a second. She called you, asked you to come over, and then disappeared. Exactly. Exactly it that. It sounds like that kind of represents your life with her at that point as a young adult. Oh, absolutely it was. Um, Mm. Like I said, those first 10 years of my marriage, early parts of my Christian walk as well, um, like I said, trying to be that good Christian daughter, trying Mm -hmm. to be there every time you can. Yeah, it was a learning curve for me. Um, I also went, I was um, going to a particular church at the time and the pastor's wife was doing some teaching about codependent personalities and I Mm. realised that I was being very much in that codependent lifestyle, I think, at the time, Mm. trying to do the right thing. Um, And I also think of the term an enabler. You were enabling her to maybe not get the help she could have had if you weren't always there to rescue her. Is that a fair point to say? I think it was more a case of almost there was manipulation going on. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, she would kind of pull you into it, into her world. Mm. We would have some... You know, times that we had talked were always about different business ventures that she may have or money making, how she could live to survive. She didn't like getting money from the government because I guess they would find out about um, her situation. Well, you've just painted a picture of your childhood and then your young adult life growing up with a parent struggling with a mental illness. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this first part of our conversation. But could you come back again and tell us more of your story and also tell us how God worked in your life? Could you come back and share that with us? Yeah, that'd be honored to do that. Thanks, Eric. Our guest today is Ruth Price, who's sharing with us what it was like growing up with a parent struggling with a mental illness. We'll hear more of her story, including her own personal story of how she becomes a Christian. All that more is coming up next time as we continue our chat with Ruth Price. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.